Did you know Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to increase the size of almost all your orders? Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks, no coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, or Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrades, cross-sales, or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you could boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Now, hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you could do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. This is the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Tech nasty. And today, I'm wondering, how long can one sustain a career in e-commerce? Because looking back at my own career, I've been a Shopify partner for a decade now. And I started in e-commerce really directly out of college and and in college. So can you make a lifetime career out of e-commerce? And I think the answer is yes. But the number of people who have been in it long enough, because it is such a new industry, I mean, can we count them on on one hand? Maybe we have to take our socks off, but it's just not that many folks. And so I'm joined today by uh, a man who's been a an inspiration to me in my career, gave me some, some valuable advice some years ago, uh, has provided a, a lot of opportunity for me, and really has just been all over the place uh, in e-commerce. And has even uh, been, I think, influential early on, ahead of the curve, we'll say, on being able to identify some things before they became common knowledge among e-commerce marketers. Like, uh, imagine if someone was was pounding the table, yelling about the importance of of lifecycle marketing and the importance of of customer lifetime value twenty years ago. I think we can all agree that that individual would be ahead of the curve. Well, in this case, we are joined by someone with who, who did all that uh, for almost 20 years, Drew Sanaki. He has built, grown, invested in, researched, and sold e-commerce and uh, some e-commerce adjacent businesses. Worked with him on several projects now, but I don't know his full story. And so we're going to find that out today together, my friends. Drew Sanaki, welcome. Good to be here, Kurt. I would say 23 years because I think I started. 23? Yeah. Well, started, let's just, uh, 23. Let's round up to 25 then. St- Started, yeah, I've been saying I've been in e-commerce for 20 years, but I actually started my first retailer in 99. 99, you were selling online. Yeah. I was unemployed. I needed to make a buck, and I stood up a store, and you didn't have Shopify back then. It was, you know, open up Dreamweaver and code something. So I learned to code. And, Dreamweaver. And, yeah. Launched, or front page. Or front page, front page. And launched a store selling uh, dropshipping furniture. Whoa. Okay. So your first store, you went big. Like my first experience selling online was making, we'll say bootleg t-shirts and selling those on eBay would have been, 
uh, in 2002, I was doing that. You've got, and so that's 20 years ago was my Actually, first yeah, thing. Actually, yeah, man. You were right yeah, there. Not quite this, not at the same level, though. I'm like trying to get beer money. You jump straight to, let's sell dropship furniture. Yeah. It that was, does uh, feel ahead of the curve, doesn't it? Like how many people were really doing stuff like that then? Back then, it was designed within reach and us. And then we had a competitor that ultimately became Wayfair. But uh, it was more, you know, I backed into it, like graduated business school and um, around that time, like it was dot-com 1.0 and uh, everybody was unemployed because uh, of the, there was like a bust in the, you know, pets.com went under and um, <laughs> pets.com just ruined the party for everybody, <laughs> yeah. but we all got free errand chairs. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, I, my business partner at the time and I really wanted to do something in furniture. We liked design and we said, well, you know, we went to a furniture show. We, we, we thought, hey, there's enough stuff out here. Let's, let's just start selling it online and we'll figure out what the business is going to be. You know, thinking the business was coming up with our own line of product. But, um, you know, I remember we, we set it up and we hit AdWords right at the right time. We took out a, an ad and like we got a sale the same day and it was exciting. We were onto something and um, we kind of pioneered what became drop shipping. So, um, Back then, well, we're going to go with you invented drop shipping. I, eh, you, you said that. You, you, you put those words in my mouth. I invented Certain, drop right, shipping. I'll accept pioneer I, for sure. Yeah, I also invented blogging for a retailer because we started blogging back then before anyone else did. Uh, really? But, I, but I'll take I'll take drop shipping. I'll own that one. Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know if it was in, we didn't invent it back then. I think that's what everybody did. You know, it was kind of like there was no Shopify. Uh, my business partner has gone on to start a company called Duoplane, which is like drop shipping for Shopify, right? Um, he was on message boards with the guys who ultimately started Shopify, and he's like explaining what drop shipping was to them because they didn't know. They were, they, they were designing their app to work as if you had everything like shipping out of your house, you know? So he kind of explained drop shipping to them. And back then, it was the game was like, long tail seo right like google's new on the scene adwords uh is new both new channels like you can you can frugal which was like google shopping was free so the name of the game was like put a brand online and you're gonna get traffic and eyeballs like two merchandise was to grow so hmm. the more brands you could add to your platform you know the bigger you'd get and so you chose a big category and uh, furniture was certainly a decent one where there are a lot of brands and in modern design furniture, there's a lot of brands. Um, and then you convince them to start selling through your, your platform and um, that grows the company. And that lasted probably until like 07, 08. Certainly uh, it was taken to an extreme by, there were like a lot of category killers then like e-bags and, and, CSN stores, which had a zillion long tail SEO optimized um, retail front ends that they merged together and became Wayfair. So uh, yeah, those were, those were the good old days. And, and once that game was over, which was like 07, 08, the new game was Facebook, you know, arbitrage that channel. It's cheap to acquire customers. And you saw a lot of digi digitally native brands, you know, ultimately 
in order to get more margin, we've got to have our own product. Um, and I think you're seeing sort of the end of Facebook. Not, I mean, not as a channel. It just means it's like it's it's an efficient market now. Like it's not you can't buy clicks for five cents anymore, right? Yeah, it's so, no longer. They got us hooked with first like, hey, here's a free way. It, originally, it was like here's a free way to build an audience because yeah. you could just build a page. Yep. And then suddenly it's like, all right, well they're going to monetize that, and then eventually they they weaned us all into you have to use ads. But the ads worked so well. Right. And the, and then now, okay, the wheels start to fall off where we're just not seeing the same return on ad spend as we used to. Yeah, you definitely see a lot of the brands that we all know, the ones that have won are the ones that are early on the new channel. Like they arbitrage the new channel because they can drive down their cost of acquisition because it's cheap to do it. So a number of brands grew on, on AdWords and, and Google Shopping in the early days. Then there were a number of brands that that grew off of Facebook when it was cheap to do so, Snapchat, and now TikTok, and influencers as a channel. Like all these things are, are really just distribution channels, and they were cheap when they came on the scene. Like the first, I don't know, the first company was to figure out influencer marketing, but who went to somebody like you who had a big audience and was like, sell my stuff, and that person was psyched to get 500 bucks, you know, and ultimately probably ended up building a billion dollar brand for some e commerce brand. Um, I remember the first time someone emailed me and was like, hey, will you do a podcast sponsorship? Yeah. And I was shocked and I'm sure I charged like 200 bucks for yeah, a totally. single ad and was thrilled <laughs> by yeah. the prospect of it. For right? us, it was apartment therapy was like the number one, you know, design blog and Maxwell's the guy who runs it's a friend of mine. And I remember convincing him in New York to like feature us in a couple posts and it and it uh, it drove our business. And now, of course, he's like he's like. He's an empire and there's like a cost to doing business with someone like that. You know, he's got his sales, his sales team that sells those kind of placements. But it was it was another new channel to arbitrage back in the day. When you're identifying these new channels, like today, no one would think twice about that story. At the time, did it feel you know, like crazy, like a risk, like, yeah, we may be just burning this money? No, no, I think um, it didn't. It didn't. It was cheap enough right? We knew the game. Uh, I think this is what venture capitalists think about all the time. It's like, what's the new the new channel that's going to allow everybody to, to monetize, you know, over the next 10 years? And so, um, no, it wasn't that, a, it, it was probably the reverse. It was probably cheap, in, you know, at the time. In this, uh, what was the name of this, this first company that sold this Dropship Modern Furniture? Design Public. Design Public. Is Design Public still around? Yeah, they. Uh, we sold it to a small private investment group. They did really well with it. They grew it for another eight, ten years, and uh, they just exited to a public company. So um, I think I, they, they did better, better with it than we did. And from there... What do you do? Because you get you sell it, you get the payout. There's there's the sugar high of it. There's the thrill, but the money doesn't last forever, and you get bored. I think everyone thinks like I just got to build my company and sell it. Well, it wasn't enough. Also, I mean, it wasn't enough to retire. Yeah. On. I, I mean, at the time, it was like okay, I'm a millionaire in my 30s, right? But you know, but not by much, right? And and you're right, it just gets. It, it gets eaten away and you just sort of, I think the big realization for me, which is one of the big learnings of the last 20 years is you make most of your money on the exit, right? And yes, 
Tim Ferriss like promoted this idea, this myth of like the life, lifestyle business where you, you can go to Bali and you're going to take, run a business for cash flow and just take, you know, gobs of profit off the table um, while the business is, you know, passive. But I can't, not that I disagree. I mean, it's certainly possible, but I think you make so much more money when you exit a business. Like it's about the equity you have in a business that creates true wealth. And so my mindset shifted at that point to I want equity in more things. I want to buy companies. I want to exit companies. I want to iterate quickly as opposed to holding design. You know, I, I worked, I bootstrapped Design Public for like almost 10 years. I don't think I'd do that again. Right. Unless unless I was truly on a, a rocket ship, you know, it, I think it's more about hitting doubles and the occasional triple and, you know, iterate having a lot of at bats. So it's me. about it's about t t total number of irons in the fire. But the key difference here is <laughs> more analogies. I know. Irons in the irons fire or at bats. Yeah, no, at bats. Yeah, do we have any other stupid aphorisms yeah. <laughs> we could throw out there? Let's just let's let's sync up on this. I mean, like I, my head is full of them, and now I can't think of any. <laughs> it's it's yeah. At bats, irons in the fire. Uh, it has a lot to do with where you are personally. Whether you want to, your appetite for risk. Or, you know, you're married, you have kids, or you just you know. True. Can you, can you live off ramen? I you know it's well. All that's those what I play into it. I, I spent so many years trying to figure out my my business initially. Uh, that were I not single and eating ramen and it, w entirely without debt because I lived in an expensive apartment with four other people, <laughs> right? I couldn't have done it today. You know, it's just, it's different. But yeah, uh, so it sounds like a a mindset shift occurred here from build a business. Once you've sold a business and you say, okay, I want that exit again, but now that I have resources and I'm a little older, we're going to approach it differently and we're going to buy instead of build. This is a thing I've heard you say before, buy instead of build or buy, don't build. Right. The amount of, um, if you buy a business that has customers and revenue, like just the, it's a shortcut, you know, you um, reduce the risk that is sort of endemic to bootstrapping, you know, you've already got product market fit. Theoretically, you don't have to deal with the whole like, is this even a product that people will buy? You know, this thing I've conceived of. I don't know. It's just like the ultimate shortcut, I think, is to you, you definitely lose some of the pure passion for starting something from scratch, that kind of like blue sky thinking. But I found, and again, this is in the context of me being like married with kids and and wanting a good life balance and home balance that like the risk return is you, you can't beat it you buy something it's got customers ideally you're buying it with a little bit of other people's money so it's not all your money or financing um it allows if it's already got customers and revenue you can sleep at night you can go home at the end of the day. You know, all the, you don't have to work weekends often. You know, it's just like it's, it's, a, it's a nice balance. So I, I always encourage entrepreneurs to consider buying before they uh, go off and bootstrap something. Would you recommend it as a good first path? Because in both of our scenarios, we built something first and had that experience. 
and then started considering buying and investing? Yeah, I would. I mean, don't, it's one of those, like if, if you got a day job and you have a couple hours, you can poke around on a number of different sites or brokerage lists and uh, identify something you might want to acquire. And so I do think you could pick up something like that as a, as a first time entrepreneur. Excuse me, do you know where 4th Street is? Yeah, up here, make right. Or, uh, no, make left. No, no, make right. Man, this person doesn't know what she's talking about. But you know who does know what they're talking about? Zipify Pages, the most powerful landing page and sales funnel builder on Shopify. All their templates are tested and proven by a $100 million e-commerce brand. So you know their stuff actually works. Finally, someone who knows what they're talking about. You can copy entire templates, like opt-in pages, product pages, or holiday promos. Or use the drag-and-drop builder to create your own custom layouts. Then publish your pages directly onto your Shopify store. That means no plugins and no subdomains. So setup is easy and tracking is even easier. And you don't need a designer or developer. Plus, all pages are optimized for mobile. And built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 57 hundred Shopify merchants. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. For you, what do you look for? What makes a business attractive? What is a... What has to happen for you to look at a business and go, I want to own that? Huh. Good question. I think it, it has to do that has to do with the actual strategy you have in mind and, and maybe a little bit of what you're good at. Like I'm I feel like I'm really good at marketing. I'm good at digital, right? I'm good at e-commerce. I'm good at uh, life cycle marketing in particular. And so when I see businesses that lack those things, I'm just I start to salivate. You know, it might be like a big manufacturer that hasn't gone direct to consumer yet well it's like i know i can take them direct to consumer i know how to set i know how to get a shopify site set up in 60 days you know and um i know or or it might be hey they've achieved a certain level of scale and oh my god they haven't they've never emailed their list or they're not even doing abandoned carts you know and i know I, i know i email well enough to know that i can get in there and add value on that side um, and you just find like someone else listening to this might be really good at organic or good at, you know, Google AdWords and just see something and be like, this is an AdWord business and they're not doing AdWords. You know, I don't like it's a win, right? Or a sourcing, so, a sourcing person might be able to save money on the sourcing side. It starts with knowing yourself and knowing your skill set, what you're good at, maybe what you're passionate about. So you you are you know you're good at and are passionate at lifecycle marketing, email marketing, yeah. uh, e-commerce. And I wouldn't overthink it. I wouldn't overthink that e- either. I think like if you're listening to the podcast and maybe you have a small Shopify store, you probably are saying, "Well, I'm not really great at anyone. You know, I'm not as good as at, at, at Facebook ads as Ezra Firestone or you know who is." You know what I mean? Like you might be saying that, but in reality, there is a a massive manufacturer out there that doesn't know the first thing about even setting up 
like how easy it is to set up Shopify. You could go to them and say, it costs $500,000 to build out a Shopify store. And they were like, all right, you know, let's sign the check. Like, it's just like, they just lack the knowledge and the DNA entirely. So um, I wouldn't overthink it. You don't have to be, you know, Ezra Firestone in any one category to, to play this game. The, okay. So you're, it, it's really looking for it, a business that doesn't have, or you know there's a missed opportunity there that they are unaware of. Do, do we want to talk about Overtone here? I do. I is think this a good should. example? This is a great Let's example. He, tell me about Overtone. Okay. So Overtone is a company I helped acquire recently. It is a hair coloring conditioner product, right? Change the color of your hair in a healthy way. Um, 100% direct to consumer, although they just rolled out Target. And, you know, they were they were for sale. Like we got the deal book in the middle of last year. Company was doing, I don't know, I'm going to ballpark these, but say 50 million dropped in half um, over COVID because I think it just, they got hit with a lot of the Facebook um, issue, iOS issues that everybody got hit with last year, sort of overbuilt, overstaffed. And I looked at the the deal and what I saw, I looked at it through a, a very specific lens. They were over they were spending a ton on tech, on IT. And it's not a complicated product. You look at it and you're like, there's no reason this shouldn't be hundred percent on Shopify. What's going on here? And I'm I'm making up these numbers, but call it like three maybe they're spending three million a year on e-commerce tech. And that is the shopping cart and the staff, like they had an entire dev staff to support the shopping cart, um, which was headless. And then they had hosting costs. And so, you know, that's a, just a great example. I know Shopify doesn't cost that much, 3 million a year or shouldn't for this business. That's $3 million in our pocket if we can just replatform this thing in the first 90 days to Shopify. Who am I gonna call to do this? A trusted trusted Shopify organization, you know, platinum partner, whatever you guys call it, like yourself. I call Kurt up. Kurt, call, you call Kurt to help you replatform to Shopify? Yes. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, I don't need, and I, I, I'm i trying to think through exactly how the conversation went. It, it must have happened before we closed the business, but it was probably like a call between you and I just like, look at this site. Is there, am I, am I reading this correctly? Is there any reason this thing can't be on Shopify? And you probably asked a couple questions and, and you were like, yeah, you know, what's it going to cost? Oh, it's going to cost this much. Can you do it in 60 days? Okay, great. Um, so boom, right there, I have my thesis, you know, like I can take this amount of costs out of the business, the same kind, we have the same kind of opportunity on email, moving them to Clavio. called my, my brother's agency to help on that. Same opportunity on paid, you know, and you just looked at that, like they were paying, what are they paying their agency on, on Facebook? They're paying them this much. Like, you know, they know they're not getting a return on that. If you include the cost, like we can do it cheaper. Ezra, who I, who I bought the business with, went in on a lot of the paid, uh, overhauling the paid programs. But it was really just like we saw this opportunity and we knew we could add value across all those digital programs and um, it's worked out. The business is now profitable. We took the the top line down even more. We wanted to make it smaller, but more profitable. And 
it's worked out really well. And and check out the site, overtone.co. That is a uh, EtherCycle site. Like you guys, we did. That is a a custom theme we we designed and built. Uh, it's really good. It's really and the, beautiful. And the team, obviously, like when you buy it, there's a lot that goes on internally because you've got to articulate your plan to everybody. You don't want to catch anybody off guard. And you know, it's sort of like this is where we see the opportunity. This is what we want to do. We want to get it on Shopify. And you could see the release. Like the team just had no idea that it was possible. Like we've wanted this for five years and for some reason or another, maybe it was like that they were just not tech people or not e-commerce people and, you know, beholden to certain experts, but um, for some reason they couldn't get there. And so they were thrilled and, uh, and, and they're really happy with the work you guys did. And, and, you know, it's like, it's like it's empowered the whole team to, to actually do their job. So, um, it's a great story, you know, and it's a great it's a great theme and great company. So I'm excited about that one. I'd love it. I got goosebumps hearing you just stroke my ego. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Please continue. Tell me how great board. I am some more. Uh, um, well, we used you on Overlander, which is uh, oh jeez. Well, yeah. actually, all right, Overlander. You that was a property uh, for auto anything. You were the CEO of a nine figure. Uh, automotive brand? Yeah. So, I, I mean, that was my first CEO gig was bootstrapping design public. My most recent one was CEO, CEOing auto anything. As much as I tried to get out of drop shipping, auto anything was a drop shipper too, just a very big one. And um, we made a number of acquisitions and incubated a site. That is the overlander.com site that, again, Kurt, Kurt's team did. And so I did, I designed know. that myself too. Yeah. It's beautiful. I like uh, that it one. kills me that we, I mean, we, we exited the whole business in December or November of last year. And uh, that's the one I wish we had, you know, held on to in some way, because I feel like that one is worth so much more than, you know. Interesting. Than we got for so, it, essentially. When do you know to sell? How do you know to sell? What are fair valuations? These things, I think, are unnecessarily mysterious to a lot of people. Yeah, and it changes, right? I mean, when I sold my business, e-commerce retailers were getting uh, a, a multiple of, of profit, uh, EBITDA, which was like three times. So not a whole lot because as an owner, you're thinking like, well, you mean I could just hold on to the business for three years and I'd get as much as you're offering me? Yes, I mean, that's kind of, well, that's what they went for back then. Something like a content business, a pure... AdWords site or content site was probably like two times profits. It was just really low. And today, um, you know, it depends on a zillion things, how big it is, how fast it's growing. But you see e-commerce businesses like five to eight times if they're growing, if they've got some scale. And uh, software businesses, multiples of revenue. So um, we are definitely in like what I feel is sort of a bit of a frothy time. If you're considering selling, now is probably a good time to do that. And... Uh, and how do you know when to sell? I I don't know. It just depends on a lot of things. I feel like I could sit here and tell you there's like a great process, a great discipline process to figure out how to sell when in reality it has so much more to do with, I think, the energy of the team to keep going, mm. you know? Design public after 10 years running that, we were tapped, you know? And I 
you didn't you never want to say that in a in a sale like why are you guys selling because we just burned out on this thing <laughs> like <laughs> yeah we've done it long enough it, it's time to pass the torch yeah but that's definitely no one, like you're internally, not supposed to say that or acknowledge no, it you're which not. i think is weird but like people change career like to, in, in 2022 people change careers like twice a year and that's not even weird anymore right. but with a you know you run a business 10 years because you built it you like now you're not allowed to sell it or get bored of it right that's silly right like why let's normalize being bored of businesses <laughs> yeah in auto anything, it was a it was a bit of like there was a bit of that because it was a tough year last year with supply chain. Like we couldn't get product, so it was constantly canceling orders and trying to negotiate with vendors to get the products off the boat at the you know be front in line when they come in through a Long Beach port. So you know it was just like a tough year. It's a grind. So I think when the board decided to pursue an exit, no one was really arguing with them. We were just like, all right. Let's do it. Oh man, when it when it feels like relief, that when you you know it's the right time. Sure, sure. I don't think I think I'm not the entrepreneur that would hold something too long in hopes of a bigger exit. You know, I've seen plenty of those. We've all heard those stories of like, oh, you had a twenty million dollar offer and you said no to it because you wanted the you know two hundred million dollar exit, and those people. More times than not, I feel get get burned. Like they don't make it. I, you know, especially if you're talking about like an initial exit for a what could be a life changing amount of money. I think you take it, and that just allows you to swing for the fences more next time, right? But take- yeah, it's a. I think it's. I I think the the mistake people get into is they're not thinking long term into what's next they're like all right i need to hold out to get the most money so i could do nothing ever again right. it's like no just take the win and then use that to to bankroll the next opportunity you're going to make for yourself yeah because that's what's going on here you're essentially you're thinking long term and trying to set yourself up for all right here's a series of wins how do we we keep going and that's the career that's quite that's phenomenal. it I, that's why i like the I do like the baseball analogy, the at-bats, you know, it's like you're building momentum, you're going for doubles and triples, right? It's a lot of pressure to go for a home run every time. So build that momentum and you're going to be successful. You know, it's it's a nice path. How do you build that momentum? Is it about, I mean, is this like we just have to write press releases for everything we do? We need to always be winning on social media or we just need to be you know, continuously on top of uh investing and scaling i think it's i think it's momentum in your career where design public you know was a seven-figure business and you got the exit there and then you know try to bite off something a little bit bigger next time and iterate quickly right as opposed to going straight for the the billion dollar exit out of you know college or something i don't know some people can pull that off but but it's really I think the the saner approach is just steady incremental improvement in all things. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It creates um you you said uh, career momentum. I've referred to it. I've heard it refer I picked this up from a TED talk uh, as a luck sale. In your career you could create a luck sale where like opportunities will as you achieve more opportunities and make yourself available for more opportunities, then more opportunities appear. And so Oh yeah. It keeps going, and it's like part of it. You know, you're growing your network, and you're gaining experience. And, um, but that that approach works well, and I, it's just not that crazy. 
This episode was brought to you by the team at Rewind, a trusted Shopify app since 2015. If you're a Shopify partner, join leading agencies like Milk Bottle Labs, Velstar, and Mac Digital Designs, and more in the Rewind Agency Partner Program. You can earn up to $2,000 for recommending Rewind to your clients. And you can rest easy knowing that the hard work you've done for your clients is protected. If you're a merchant, feel confident and enjoy peace of mind that your store is always safe with automated backups. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Learn more by looking up Rewind in the Shopify app store or visit rewind.com. Best of all, visit rewind.com slash Kurt Elster and get a 30-day free trial. None of these things could work, these businesses anyway, could work without teams. Like none of these are solo efforts. You have have led uh, teams. You've been in the CEO role for a variety of businesses, uh, all digital, quite large. How do you build teams? What's your approach here? Um, I think at this point I'm, I'm decent at hiring. I always like, you know, you focus on top down, like who are your direct reports going to be? And, um, I'm a big fan of like auditions before you hire someone, give someone a project, you know, which is essentially like the job. It might be, you, you carve off a piece of the job and, and see how they do on that and uh, before committing to hiring the person full time. But, um, you know, that's sort of how I go about hiring. There was a book that made a big impact on me called Powerful by Patty McCourt, who ran culture for Netflix. And if I had to boil that down, it's like treat people like adults, be completely honest with everybody. If somebody's not the, the right fit, you've got to be really comfortable moving on from them, but doing it in as humane a way as possible. Um, communicate often, you know, and I think show you're human to your team. I, I, it's, it's a great book. So, I mean, we, we use that approach at Auto Anything. There's more in there about goal setting and uh, how to do reviews and things like that. But um, that's kind of how I start. I don't- I, and I, I'm often in the position where I have to build a team because, like it or not, like a lot of the the opportunities to get involved with are more like on the turnaround side. It's like go in and turn this business business around. It hasn't been functioning. So um, a lot of that has to do with team and culture. How do you think you were in the Navy, right? I was. Do you think that has had any impact on your career? Oh yeah, it has. It's uh you know, it feels like a different life, but there are just principles around leadership, around things like I can, that I think I can identify pretty quickly, like unified chain of command, for example. Like you often go into an organization and they don't know who's in charge or like different people mm-hmm. are running one team. And it's like you need you need one leader here and you need to be clear on what the chain of command is so that people know who they're reporting to and what's expected of them. That's like just very basic. But I think I can identify stuff like that quickly. At this point, well, you talked about work-life balance um, earlier, you know, not working weekends, some of the advantage to that. What's a day in the life of Drew Sanaki look like now? I'm a big wig private equity guy like Drew. What's that look like day to day? But I'm, I'm not, so we acquired Overtone and typically now what a deal, I, after auto anything, I'm, I want some time where I'm not the CEO. So, uh, you know, if you buy a business, you buy Overtone, we bought Postpilot several years ago. 
you are focused on recruiting the team to run it. And um, going hard, private equity does have this thing called like the 100-day plan or the 30-60-90 plan, which is like everybody wants a return in the first three months. Like that's the time you got to strike while the iron's hot. When you have a new acquisition, that's when you can go in and you can really shake things up. And it's sort of expected that you will. It's rare to go. You don't want to buy a business and then go in and just say, oh, we're going to see how this plays out. You know, and in a year from now, we're going to have like major restructuring or layoffs or whatever. Like that has to happen immediately because you only you get one shot to go in and do that sort of thing. Uh, hire the new marketing person, like turn over the tech stack. And so I find like when you have a deal, it is three to six months where you're sort of full time, even though you might not be the CEO. And then it's like on to the next deal in many ways. Like you sort of, uh, you hopefully have the people, the process, everything in place at that company and the reporting where it becomes more of like a weekly or monthly check-in. So as far as what my week is now, I mean, I, I feel like we've gotten through that, we're at the tail end of that 30, 60, 90 for Overtone. So now it's about a weekly check-in with the CEO, a weekly check-in with the board, like monitoring the company and just seeing like, you know, I'm in their Google Analytics, like does everything look okay? Do we have stock? But I'm focused more on this other venture I own called Postpilot. It's a software company, does direct mail for e-commerce. And so there I'm, I'm still in the thick of it. You know, there we're hiring, we're building, we're raising money, we're doing a couple other things. And this one you acquired as well. Yes, we bought. We acquired this one uh, about three years ago, and um, we hired. As it throws off cash, we've been hiring a team, and then lo and behold, last year iOS rolls out. iOS fourteen cuts takes the rug out from under Facebook, and there's just this massive surge of interest in direct mail as a channel, um, which we have benefited from so now it's okay this thing is a bit of a rocket ship let's um what can we do to 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 grow faster and and still deliver a great product to everybody and so we've got multiple business models here that you're involved in you know we've got like e-commerce um and that an e-commerce store versus a e-commerce marketing app right postpilot sends Plugs into Shopify and sends uh, postcards. It's it's Clavio for postcards. Yeah. Yes. Clavio for snail mail. Correct. I love that that tagline and description. I think it's a great way uh, to explain it. Which is your what's your your favorite business model, or do you not even think of it in those terms for like you know e-commerce direct dropshipping direct to consumer? You love SaaS? Yeah, I love the software company now. It's it. I think it's um, e-commerce, the amount of scale you have to get to create enterprise value um, is just orders of magnitude larger. In other words, we had a $100 million e-commerce business that might be the same value as like this, you know, this SaaS business with 15 people. Like it's just... Um, it's because of the way their the businesses are valued, and you imagine like the heavy lift you need in e-commerce. Where I had 
I had to manage like 200 people and a legacy tech stack. And I don't know, SaaS is just um, the lifetime values of the customer are so much higher that you can afford to do a lot more to acquire those customers. They stick around. Um, right now, I'm really liking the SaaS business. And years ago, you were hammering on the importance of, of lifetime value and lifecycle marketing. And so I, and you told us uh, that you want to look for opportunities that speak to your skills, was how I interpreted it. It sounds like that's what's occurring here with, with Postpilot. It's, this really lends itself well to, to how you, you approach marketing. Totally. Yeah, it does. It's, I mean, I've always believed in the, the lifetime value side of the equation. There's, there's acquisition and acquisition costs. And then there's how much profit does that customer generate over his or her lifetime. And I always feel like that's the, they get the, that gets the short end of the stick. Everybody's focused on acquisition. Everybody wants to grow. But the biggest opportunity is to bring on customers that have super high lifetime values or it work to increase the customer's lifetime value because that's where anybody makes their profit. You know, if you ask any retailer, they're typically like borderline profitable on the first order, but on the second or third, that's where they make their money because they don't have to go out and acquire that customer anymore. So a lot of my approach to marketing has been modeling out who are likely to be your best customers? How do we optimize acquisition funnels for them? Um, how do we turn a sort of marginally good customer into a great customer? How do we keep a great customer buying longer from you? Because all customers have a life cycle. Um, and the longer they buy from you, the, the more profits you generate. And how do you orient your whole business to increase the customer lifetime value? Because that's what ultimately trickles through to the the value of the company. And so Postpilot's been great because I literally have like one of my top tools in my toolkit, direct mail, and I've built the app out in a way where it can help you optimize customer lifetime value. You start start with retention is one big thing. Like I when when you say direct mail to people, they think uh, acquisition. They think like give me a bunch of zip codes, I'm gonna you know, blast them with postcards, um, which you certainly could, you know, you could do acquisition. Um, but I would recommend that everybody think of it, think of postcards as like retention first. You know, who are your best customers? Who's your best target market? It's always your previous buyers, right? But the fact of the matter is now with Facebook unable to track that only like 10 or 20% of those previous buyers actually hear from you and open your email. Like they may not be subscribed. They may not open the email. How do you communicate with the other 80% of like the, the best single target audience you could have? And direct mail like fills that gap. You know, you, you can mail them. So um, anyway, that's, that's what led me to, the, to use Postpilot for years, to acquire it, and now to... That's that's we always start customers on retention programs. Oh, so, so you had been using it to scale. I've, I've been using post. I've these been businesses using before you acquired. It. Yes, yes. Okay, and so you've been ahead of the curve in your career on a lot of uh, e-commerce trends that became uh, standard things for in an e-commerce marketer's toolkit. And so, do you think? Are are you saying that the the future of, of e-commerce is direct mail? I don't know if, it, I mean, it's not the single 
future of e-commerce, but it's going to be in everybody's toolkit. You think back 10 years ago, I don't even know if lifecycle marketing was or retargeting. Nobody talked about that stuff. And yet now you'd be silly not to be doing those things. And I think that's direct mail in 10 years. And it's it gives me confidence that it it predated e-commerce. I mean, like there were all uh, half the brands we know and love growing up, LL Bean, you know, like these big brands started as catalog brands, Land's End, like sending physical catalogs to people, mining that customer data in terms of recency, frequency, monetary value, figuring out where to make profitable drops, and then retaining customers through the catalog. And I, ju I, I see no reason why that couldn't continue, but in for e-commerce retailers as well. You know, my, my father-in-law worked for a very successful uh, direct mail company that sold, did everything through catalogs, and he helped manage that program. And hearing him talk about the stuff that they were doing in the early, late 80s, early 90s, it's like signif often significantly more sophisticated than what we're doing today in e-commerce as far as segmentation, um, like using RFM totally. uh, segmentation. Uh, than what uh, people do today. So I think it, it, often you can look, you can look at what worked, you know, f half a century ago, and that's going to be like the next thing going forward. Yeah, in '99 there were no, there was no unofficial Shopify podcast for me to listen to. I went to the library, I got catalog marketing books out, and I learned about what was called database marketing, which is like how do you crisscross a customer data set to retain better to acquire new customers to essentially do lookalikes and and it's not i mean it's that stuff comes full circle it's like you look at any good email program they're doing the same thing you know with the same rules and it's always around recency frequency monetary value right so um you know for those of you who don't know what rfm is i would say google it it's it's uh it's how to it's how to segment a customer data set and um in order to find your best customers. Uh, there's a, an episode we did with the CLTV lady, is what it's called, if you Google it. I'll, okay. I'll stick it in the show notes where we talk through RFM. Um, Jackson. Juliana Jackson. Yep. I believe her name was. I hope I got it right. Penultimate question. What career accomplishment are you most proud of, Mr. Sanaki? Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be Postpilot. It's good. We're going to have a great, that's going to be a great company. You know, I, uh, now's the time where I disclose. I invested in it. So, uh, fingers crossed. I hope so. It will be. It will be. It, how do you do that so quickly? You have like, what? You're not doing, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so those of you who are listening, he's not putting those sound effects in in post production, he's doing them in real time. I am very proud of my first year at Auto Anything. Oh, really? Yeah. We went in. I mean, we, we took that company from 350 people to 150. I'm not proud of that, but I'm, I'm proud of like, we had to change the culture. We had, to, we had to create a team that executed really well. And, um, and that's what we did. I mean, it was like, we turned over some positions. We found people who were sort of buried in the organization who we promoted. And just like that, that culture and teamwork for that first year was was really rewarding. Uh, you know, I, I talked to someone who worked there during that time, and they said uh, that they miss you at Auto Anything. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I miss them. You know, it was like we had a good thing going. 
So on uh, all right, final thoughts post pilot. Do we have a do we have a, a special exclusive offer for our listeners? Yeah, it's, we set uh, something up here. Yeah, happy to. Whatever's working for you in email will work in direct mail, and it's it's like getting more juice from the squeeze. You've already done the work. You've already figured out your abandoned cart campaign or your win back. You clone it to direct mail, and you're going to hit that 80% of your customers who aren't subscribed to your list. So think of it. Think of it that way. It's just going to extend your the work you've already done on email. Uh, later this year, we're going to roll out acquisition. So you're going to be able to, um, I think, replace a lot of the prospecting you were doing on Facebook with direct mail. Uh, oh, I hope so. Yeah. So that's that's uh, we're hoping late Q2 uh, to roll that out. Postpilot.com. If you go to postpilot.com slash GFO, that's the Kurt Elster godfather offer, GFO. And uh, what that means is um, we'll do everything for you. We're so confident in the app that our team will build you the first campaign for you and send it on our dime. So we build it for you. We'll tell you what we'll look at. We'll look at your business, tell you what's going to work build it for you and then send the postcards out and then you can say you can say thank you very much i'm not interested or you can say like it's great because our goal is to deliver you that roi that that makes it a no-brainer so boom i love this idea the godfather offer i wish i had some godfather sound effects i could stick in here man this has been this has been phenomenal uh i have i have no closing questions I love you? Question mark? Uh, no, you, you just email me. Email me, Drew, Drew at postpilot.com if you have any questions. You or any of your listeners. Wow, you really opened a bag of worms with that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll help anybody. I'm, that's, that's, I'm, I'm that excited about this business. Wonderful. I mean, I, I learned a lot here because you, you gave me great career advice years ago. I, I listened to it. I have followed along and... Uh, you know, riding those coattails has worked out pretty well. Awesome. I I love that we met, you know, years ago at SEMA and hit it off and feel like we've had a good, we've sort of had a good partnership going since then. It's worked out pretty well. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, man. Privy is the fastest way to grow sales with email and SMS. You can build your list, save abandoned carts, send money making emails and texts, and more, all in one place. Plus, you'll get coaching and support from e-commerce experts no matter where you start. Privy is the number one rated sales app on Shopify and has helped merchants deliver over 7 billion in online sales. Join the thousands of merchants growing with Privy by signing up for a free 15-day trial today. Just head over to privy.com slash unofficial Shopify to get started. That's P-R-I-V-Y.com slash unofficial Shopify. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. So please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.